Welcome to the Cup of Cat podcast. My name is Cat, and yes, I am another 20-something-year-old who thinks podcasting is a good idea. We're all navigating this insane life together, and I want to be able to share my experience with you, as well as have conversations with others in hopes to create a space of positivity, learning, and growing together. I also want to use this as an opportunity to hold myself accountable for the things that I'm doing. I feel like your 20s is such a time of change and so many things are going on at the same time. So I actually want to stick to the things that I want to do and I want to report back to you and let you know how they're going. So if that all sounds good, grab a cup of whatever makes you feel good and enjoy. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cup of Cat podcast. I am joined once again by Tom, my very dear friend. In the last episode, we discussed his journey with the pilonidal sinus and the wonderfully graphic details and all of that 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 entailed. And today we are talking about the light at the end of the tunnel, what happened afterwards, how it reintegrated back into society. Tom, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, thank you. How are you, Kat? I'm very, very good. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us so far. I really do appreciate it. No, it's okay. I mean, you know, it's medical stuff, but with all sorts of medical things, you know, it gets to the point where you have so many people prodding you and poking you and and going a few knuckles deep inside you that, you know, sharing things with a close friend like this, it doesn't really, um, doesn't feel odd or out of sorts at all so um i just want to thank you for having me on and for putting up with my um my ramblings really well it's an absolute pleasure i very much appreciate it and i'm sure the rest of the world <laughs> appreciates it as well so um <laughs> Thanks to the listeners too. Okay, so where we left off last time is that now you've gone through the last surgery and your reintegration into society now. So we went through a pandemic in that time Mm -hmm. and your sort of life kickstarts after the pandemic. The world is a completely different place. You know, we went through sort of our 20s and I suppose the 20s is such a time of change and everything's happening at the same time and everyone around you is changing at the same time. How did you navigate just going back into the world when it was such a different place and you were such a different person? Well, I mean, I'm 28 now. My 20s started two years ago because I I lost my 20s really. But the bounce back, the return to greatness started, like you said, with this successful surgery. I was zipped up, permanent nerve damage aside. I was intact for the first time in years. I remember the date exactly. It was Monday, the 23rd of August 2021 from my nurse. I was still going in for relatively frequent checkups at that point after this drastic surgery, this plastic surgery, drastic plastic surgery. <laughs> and um, I remember on, on Monday, I'd gone in to see the nurse and she said, well, Tom, you know, the, the, the stitches held, the staples did their job. You're completely zipped up and intact and in the most loving way possible. I never want to see you again. <laughs> I had a pretty good relationship with these the nurses at this one clinic in my town up to that point. So um, they, they almost told me to F off <laughs> on my last day. But up to that point, I again, this is another example. I mentioned how lucky I, I was and my privilege in the last episode there. But before having this, this condition and everything, I, I had a really good job at an English language school in my city. And 
I'd been in touch with the principal at that school and a few other members of staff because they were like family to me at that point. At that point, I'd been working with them since 2013. And so, you know, we we stayed in touch and they were really invested in me. They came to my 18th birthday and my sister's med school graduation. So, you know, they were really on side. And they always said, you know, look, whenever you whenever you're able, whenever you're ready, there's a job waiting for you. And it was that Monday, the the twenty the twenty third. I got given the all clear. Tuesday, the twenty fourth, I was back in the office. It had been years of of being housebound, and I was I was itching to re-enter the world. And so, luckily, incredibly luckily, I had a really good relationship with my boss and some of the members of management at that school. I started off on very greatly reduced hours just to sort of, you know, put my toes in the water. Mm. But I was I was back at work. And I don't think that's like a it's no Protestant work ethic or um Catholic insanity or whatever it is that, you know, pushes people to do things like that. But I got back into it very quickly. Unfortunately, the job that I went into at that school was a different job to the ones I'd done. I at that school I'd been a teacher, I'd been an activity leader. I'd been an admin person. I did every job at that school except for two jobs. Principal, which you couldn't pay me enough to do, and something called an accommodation officer. So we would get hundreds, if not thousands of students a year, and most of them live in host families, which is a random family somewhere in the Leeds, greater metropolitan area that has a spare room and needs some cash. And they, for a weekly rate, offer to house students in their spare room. Uh, my job going back into the school was to organize that. And it really was its own special flavor of hell because you're you're working with, with two things. You're working with cultural differences and people's personal foibles and their home, which is two of the most unpredictable elements of humanity are the differences that you find from country to country and the kind of insanities people have about their houses and their homes, which they deserve to have. It's their home after all. But bloody hell, cat! it was honestly, I've got grey hairs now from that job. There were points in that job because it was such a small office. Uh, the principal and the admin and me and the registrar, we all sit in, in the same room. And because of the way the desks are situated, we're all facing each other. And there'd be like, you know, multiple times a day, maybe even a dozen times a day where we'd all just look up from our computer screens at each other and just, you know, a, a facial expression says a thousand words. <laughs> we just, we, we, we had the same kind of expression that people would have probably had in the trenches uh, at Passchendaele, you know, just that kind of dazed and confused kind of, God, did that just happen? Did that phone call really just happen? Did we really just have that argument? Did we really have to explain that to a person? Did we really, it, it was such a bizarre and, and crazy and, and a stressful job at times. But, you know, looking back on it, it was kind of what I'd been asking for. I'd been I'd been gagging. I'd been chomping at the bit. I'd been drooling to get back into the world. And I, I'd missed commuting. I'd missed taking the bus. I'd missed getting lunch at the supermarket. I'd missed walking past people and nodding to people on the street and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, that human interaction and that sense and that experience of being out there and being part of it. And I got what I wished for in buckets. Um, it was really, really, really rough, cat. But you know, in hindsight, it was exactly what I what I'd been asking for. Uh, would I do it again? No. But I think it was a really good way of sort of 
shocking me back into activity. I mean, I'd spend years literally doing nothing, dormant, lying mm. down, all day, playing video games all day. And, and you know, besides the sort of the harrowing things I had going on, for the long periods of time where I was kind of used to things and I'd become settled in my sort of grisly routine of, of, of medical interventions and, and nurses and what have you, you know, it was quite sedentary. It was, it was relaxed. It was very sort of, you know, nothing ever happening. It was a, such a jolt. It was such a jumpstart. And to be honest with you, it probably did me a world of good because the stress and the tension and the sheer sort of screaming, sweating panic of it all prepared me for the next step, which was um, not anywhere near the UK whatsoever. So how much time passed before or between when you started and deciding this is great, I've gotten what I needed out of this, and I'm ready to go back to what I was doing and, you know, potentially go back to Japan. What was the timeline like and what got you feeling like you want to go back there now? You want to continue on the path that you were on before all this happened? Comfort's an incredible thing. Complacency is an incredible force. Inertia is a difficult thing to shift. I was, having spent years in the UK, in Leeds, living in my parents' house, I had become very satisfied and complacent with where I was and what I was doing. And I was happy to just, you know, be there as difficult as it was, as stressful as it was doing that job. And no matter how much I'd been through, you know, I was, I was comfortable. I was, I was at rest and I would still be there now if it wasn't for my, my partner. I, I'd always said to myself, God, wouldn't it be nice to go back to Japan but deep down in me, there was something that said, nah, come on. It's too hard. Yeah. yeah. This is nice. Yeah, it was like sort of it was like lying in a big sort of warm bathtub of poo. It, it, it wasn't great, but it was warm and it was squidgy and it was comfortable and you're kind of you're you're in it there. But my other half said, you know, you should come back. You you're good, you're ready, you should go. And the the program that I'd been on the previous time, the the application sort of window. Is only open for um, a certain amount of time every year. And I would have let it pass me by so easily, Kat, so easily, if it hadn't been for them judging yeah. me a little bit and encouraging me and reminding me, hey, I'm still here. <laughs> I'm waiting for you. <laughs> like, come to me, for God's sake. And they were absolutely right. If it wasn't for that little push that they gave me, I would have settled. I would have settled for that life as difficult as that job was, as stress-inducing as that job was, I would have stayed there. And the deadline for the next application cycle was the following October. Mm. And I met that deadline. I did the application again by myself, thanks to my partner's encouragement and their insistence in the right word, perseverance with me. I think they knew, I think they could tell, they could smell it on me that I was getting comfortable. And there's that thing where you, when you've got a person that you love, there's what you know they would like and enjoy, and then there's what you know would be good for them. Yeah. And they have a, to this day, have a, have a, a, a terrifyingly sharp sixth sense. They know what I want and what's good for me. That sounds incredibly controlling, but <laughs> you know what I mean. They, 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 they can, they can see through the lies I tell myself. Yeah. You know, I can't. You are always good at lying to yourself and i think you need an outside perspective someone who knows you someone who loves you someone who has your best interest at heart to see through those and they saw through that they realized that yep tom is there and he is stuck there 
and he will be stuck there until someone shows him the light. And they did. When I first went to Japan, the whole application process is incredibly demanding. It's it's a total like you know pain in the neck doesn't even cover it. It's insane. It's so competitive, and they really take the Michael uh, when it comes to what they ask of you. And the first application I did, I did with my grandfather. I owe it to him actually, almost entirely to him pushing me. And he he was the one who saw through my my complacency. He was the one who was saying, "No, come on, let's get another draft of that personal statement done by next week. Let's get that form sorted by by the end of the month." As you know, and I think sometimes you need someone cracking that whip. And he did that for me. By the time it was this point where I was able to go again, he wasn't in the same position to help me for reasons I won't go into. But my partner was. My partner was there. And they were simultaneously the light at the end of the tunnel and the train choo-chooing behind me. I was aiming for them. I wanted to get back to the country that they were in, the time zone they were in, the lifestyle that they were doing, and have something vaguely resembling a life with them. But then at the same time, they were behind me, pushing me along and encouraging me. And I've always said that it's amazing what you can do with other people. Teamwork does make the dream work. And if it this other brain, this other heart, this other soul pushing me where I needed to be pushed, carrying me where I needed to be carried and encouraging me where I needed to be encouraged. I'd still be in that god-awful job in Leeds. (laughs) It sometimes does take an outside perspective to say like, hey, you are meant for greater things and you can do greater things. You're capable of doing greater things. And if you don't have that loved one, someone who knows you better than anyone else, and you don't have that person in your life, it's still important to go out and seek those people to help you along. So like, for example, in your career, it's so important to go and find a mentor and somebody who can offer a different perspective or a coach or something. It doesn't even have to cost you a lot of money or any money just to go find someone who is maybe doing something that you're already like that you really want to do and just seeking them out and asking them a couple of questions. Because sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own heads and our own perspectives that we can't see beyond our own image that we have of the world. We can't see beyond the lens that we've created for ourselves. And so it really is so, so, so important to find those people and cherish those people. But if you don't have those people, go out and actively seek them and find someone who's doing that thing and get in contact with them. Even if it's on social media, send them a message. They might reply and they might be able to help you or encourage you to just do the thing, you know? Oh, dude, absolutely. I mean, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. The stress from that job and the responsibility I felt that I had and the things I was dealing with, the not just the sort of the amounts of money that I was dealing with, but the, the, the kind of, you know, flights and accommodation, people's, you know, it, it, my my day in that job would involve geopolitics and religion and the British class system and, you know, all sorts of things. It, it, was, it wasn't like particularly high stakes. But it was so involved and so engaged and there was so much BS and pain and drudgery with every single thing. It was bureaucracy and humanity and just all sorts of cuck wrapped up into one sort of horrible package. And from that, there was a point where I just thought, God, I just want a job where there's no responsibility. I don't make any big decisions. I'm just, you know, I'm stacking shelves or I'm making coffees or whatever. And I mean, first of all, that's an incredibly snooty and privileged thing to think because it's like saying that people who work in, in retail or the service industry have it easy. Well, I think, you know, you and I have both worked in, in service. I worked at a yeah. pub chain in the UK called Weatherspoons, 
which if you're British and you're listening, you know exactly what that would be like. Just sort of like scuzzy, cheap beer, cheap people, just difficult stuff. And you yourself, Kat, you spent a lot of time <laughs> so in many retail. Years of retail. I was getting to the point where because of the stresses of that job, I would have been happy with just anything. And like I was ready to settle my standard drop. That I'd shifted my goalposts without realizing that wasn't what I would have wanted. Mm. If I'd gone to a job in retail, or a job in the service industry or something like that, it would only have been a matter of time before the stresses of those jobs got to me and I was hating it. And I'd say, okay, I want a job without people this time. And then I'd move to IT and, okay, now I want a job without technology because, you know, computers suck and ones and zeros make me nauseous now. And it would have just kept going like that. If you if you keep settling, if you just settle and then settle and settle, what you do is you fall. And you, you fall so slowly that you don't realize that you're falling. But because you don't realize, you fall far. And that's a real sticky trap that you can fall into. Unfortunately, jobs like that are, for a lot of people out there, the only options available to them. And, yeah. you know, from the experience I've had in retail, the experience I've had in, in sort of, you know, working face-to-face with people in that job at the, the language school, you know, the kind of people who work in shops and hotels and bars and restaurants or whatever, Jesus, my heart breaks for them. And and they have, they have some cojones on them because I could not do that for for longer than i already have done in my life but because because you can get so blinded in that when when you're just ready to when you're just ready to 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 find something comfortable or easy or oh god what's easier than this what can i settle for then i I could have fallen far it would have been a slow descent but it would i I would have gone a very long way away from where deep down i wanted to be and that for me was in japan yeah, I think like for for me, like to be in the service industry, you have to be a type of person. Just like to be a doctor, you have to be a type of person that can deal with these kinds of things. And you know, some people thrive in that environment. Some people do so well in that environment. And I would say for the people who do not thrive in that environment, take the lessons that you can learn in that environment and apply it to something else. Uh, freelancing, mm. for example, you can get a job anywhere in the whole entire world. There's a lot of jobs available in the whole world, maybe not in your town or your city or your country, but there's a job out there and somebody needs someone who is really good at emailing people or solving people's problems <laughs> for them. And you can go and do that and you can do it in the comfort of your own home. And that's why this is my campaign that why freelancing should be in the new way that the world operates for everyone forever, because it saved my life. <laughs> Um, I've got to say, on, on a relatively unrelated note, if you are a waiter, specifically, if you work in a restaurant, it's something different. Working in the shop, working in a restaurant where you've got that kind of retail snarky attitude combined with anger, you are a juggernaut and I'm terrified of you because the the the, the, the willpower and the, the sort of the cast iron titanium adamantium soul that you need to to manage a job like that that's terrifying that that exists in humans. And if you if you if you work as a waiter, you are you are a gargantuan human being. Especially if you enjoy it. <laughs> you, you, are, you are the kind of person that David Goggins claims to be, right? Oh, you yeah. are that oh, yeah. terrifyingly sort of perseverant, perseverant, um, iron willed individual. You are a juggernaut, and that is insane. <laughs> but but you know, to, to sort of to, to to bring it back, I was. Um, I had my own BS wiped from my eyes, predominantly by my other half. And sure enough, with support from them and also from, you know, credit where it's due from the principal of that school and the other staff of that school who were 
instrumental in my application process and my family too. By uh, summer 2023, this year, I'd left jolly old England and my entire past in all of its sort of grisly, surgical, sort of deeply sort of nasty ways was behind me. And the job at the language school was was no more. And I got to where I am today, which is where I'm talking to you from now, Japan. Yeah, Japan, here you are. And and you did it. And that's the thing, like you you took the steps and you did all the things and you were so determined and you were so nervous and you were so scared. But the thing is you oh, knew that this is what you needed, you know, you you knew this is what you wanted, you knew this is what you needed. And I think the best that you can do is you can just try, you know, and see what happens. And if it's for you, it will come to you, no matter no matter what. Yeah, you've moved to Japan now, and you went through the whole process. You're here now. You've been there for what, like a month and a bit now. What are some of the cultural shocks that you've seen from moving to Japan, and the difference between the time when you were there before and the time now? Oh wow! Well, look. In terms of the difference between my last time here and this time, this time I got homesick. This time it was much tougher because of the situation I was arriving in. The program I'm on. It's not a consistent thing that they do. The program that you apply to gets you into the country and gets you a job, but your own circumstances, your living situation, the job itself, it varies from person to person because you are contracted out to schools or or, or districts on an individual level. So what that means is my first time in Japan and my second time in Japan, while the application process was the same and the company that, that does it, the organization that does it is the same, my experiences were drastically different. The last time I came, I arrived to an apartment with stuff in it. There were shelves, there was a bed, there was cooking equipment, there was you know all sorts of things that you you really ought to have in order to um, you know live. But uh, this time around, they moved me into a completely unfurnished and empty apartment. I didn't have a bed for the first few weeks. And the my, my, my arrival, you spend a few days in Tokyo before they ship you out to where you're going to go. My bare apartment with nothing in it, combined with some freak weather events while we were in Tokyo, threw all of what I my expectations for my arrival completely out of the window. And the, the sort of the two weeks that I had my first two weeks in Japan this time around were incredibly stressful because I didn't have a bed. I didn't have cooking equipment. I didn't have any storage. All I had in my apartment, imagine an em- a big empty room with a fridge in it and an air con in it and an inflatable mattress, which I'd forgotten at my school. So I didn't even have that. It was insane. And, and the anxiety that comes from knowing that you're heading to an empty place with no, not only creature comforts, but essentials too, it really throws you. The, 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 the culture shock, leaving your family behind, leaving your life behind, combined with that uncertainty of, of the fact that behind your front door, there is nothing. It really threw me. And I had something of a quite small but not insignificant mental health crisis when i when i when i first touched down mm. when i first landed in my part of japan my little corner of japan in fukuoka it really was difficult compared to the first time when a lot of things were there for me and i just i picked up this life that was someone else's i inherited it from my predecessor 
and I hit the ground running when I was in Kochi. When I'm here now, when I was here now in Fukuoka, when I arrived now, completely different story. And it was such a difficult adjustment because I arrived to nothing. So with the time difference and things that you've got from here to home, is there a higher level of sort of independence because you only have a certain window that you can connect with people and you can't just sort of run to someone and get an answer straight away. What has that change been like for you and having to figure everything out by yourself and not have someone who's just awake and can talk to you at that time? I alluded to it in the last episode, mm. the the unfortunate coincidence with having a family in the UK and living in Japan is that your time zones are aligned in such a way that you really don't ever overlap because you're eight hours out of step. You know, when I'm finishing work, my family's starting work. When my family's finishing work, I'm already asleep. When I'm waking up, my family is asleep. You know, so it really is hard to stay in touch. And for the first month or so, there are some really, really difficult things happening back home with my family that I was not able to help with or be a part of and that sucked mm. that really sucked but you know i i stay in touch with messages calls and video calls and things are not really easy to do at all but we still stay in touch through the wonders of messaging apps things like whatsapp and, and facebook messenger and stuff so we do we, we do keep in touch in that way it's just it's not as fresh it's not as raw now because it's all done through through text rather than through video or, or audio. And then finally, would you recommend other people go on this program and take that that step if they want to? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the thing about Japan, and something I want to talk about, about other things about, specifically about living in Japan, is that if you live in the West, if you live in uh, the US or the UK, you can't get much further away geographically than Japan, but also you definitely cannot get further away culturally what's weird about japan is that the big things are exactly the same you know if you look at a japanese city like tokyo like fukuoka like osaka at a at a glance it, it looks just like new york or london or whatever you know the big billboards and what have you but it's the little things that are so different and that's where you get tripped up for example if I'm in the UK, if I want to make a good impression on someone that I meet, I have to be informal, be friendly. Hello, mate. How are you? You're right. You know, a little bit of energy, care about them, ask them about themselves, and 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 there's a certain sort of way of approaching people and handling people that is how you extend an open hand. Is how you are friendly and how you begin a positive and by extension, productive relationship with a new person. In Japan, that mechanism is completely the opposite way. It's You're much more formal, you're much more respectful. You are, by our standards, a lot colder. It's a very different way. You have to consciously restructure your personality, your approach with people. And I'm a bit of, um, to put it politely, a poo talker. I, I'm good at schmoozing people. I'm good at, you know, you know, getting people to to like me for no real reason. Um, it's, it's how I did so well in that job at the language school, I think, just, you know, schmoozing um, foreigners for a while. The difficulty with, with living in, in Japan and Japanese culture, interpersonal culture, is that none of that stuff really flies here. You gain people's affection and trust and respect in very different ways. 
It's not just the language that you have to change. It's not just the way you speak that has to change, but the way you think, the way you deal with people and the things that you have to look to get from people and give to people also have to change. It's a massive adjustment to make, but it gives you a perspective that I really don't think you can get any way other than actually coming here and not visiting here, but living here, working here, going to the grocery shops, getting your hair cut, clocking in for work, going to meetings, that kind of stuff. It's such a unique and eye-opening experience. You know, for every one thing that I learn about Japan, I learn two or three about my home country and about the West in general, you could say. It's hugely eye-opening. And when I eventually do go back to the UK or when I eventually do relocate to the US or, or whatever it may be, I will be a much more well-rounded individual, but I will also, I think, be much more aware of what I do, the way I do things and why. And at the very least, it's bloody interesting. And so for that reason, I would recommend either, you know, looking for this for this kind of opportunity, a job in Japan like this, or just, you know, if you want to have your horizon broadened, you need to go to the horizon and beyond it. Travel and travel far if you can. Again, it's an immense privilege to be able to do this. And, you know, despite the amount of sweat and tears and, and blood that I put into my application to get here, I'm still incredibly lucky to have this kind of program available to me. But if you can get out, go out and put yourself in situations that you're not comfortable with, because you will learn so much more about other people and other ways of doing things. And at the same time, learn so much about yourself and your own approach to life and the way that you, you think about people. It's incredibly eye-opening and I couldn't recommend it enough. Yeah, I think that the, especially with perspective, I mean, a lot of people don't even realize that there is a different perspective from your own out there. And I think like one of the things that I'm super interested in is people and how people work and how people tick and what motivates people to do things. And even without having a huge broad perspective of everything in the world, I have a very deep, deep understanding that there are differences, you know, and you need to accept everybody for their differences. And you need to be open enough to consider that the way that you look at things and the way you see things, even if you're looking at exactly the same thing, you could be seeing a completely, completely different picture. And so it's really important to do as much as you can to just open your eyes a little bit and, and look, you know, have conversations. This is why I want to do this is have these conversations with people like yourself, other people who are doing other things and are experiencing other ways in the world. And I don't necessarily have to be there, although I would absolutely love to start traveling the world and maybe eventually I will be, but for now, just simply talking and having these conversations can, you know, you're enlightening me and you're enlightening all the listeners out there. So I really do appreciate that. And I think that's, that's the whole point of why, why I'm here and why I want to do this and I can do it from the comfort of my own home, you know? <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a great thing that you're doing. I mean, shameless, um, shameless kind of endorsement here, but I've listened to every episode of Cup of Cat and I've, um, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the show, not least because I'm friends with you, but also because you have such a way of expressing your way of thinking, your perspective, your view, and the kind of elucidation and illumination and perspective 
sort of broadening that I get from from living in a place as different as Japan. I've also gotten from our friendship over the years. You have changed my mind on so many things. You've softened my approach on a lot of things, and you you've given me, I think, a much more inflected and nuanced and detailed understanding of things that I previously would have written off or ignored or just misinterpreted. And it's such a wonderful gift that you've given me personally over the years. And the fact that you are sort of, you know, channeling this kind of, this catism, this way of, of, of being and doing and thinking and talking, communicating into, into a format like this, like a podcast that people from, from all around the world can, can tap into and, and hopefully get something out of. It's such a, a wonderful thing. And I'm really, um, I'm incredibly proud of you for, for doing it and also incredibly grateful to you because not only can I, you know, message you and talk to you that way, but um, every now and then I get a little bing on my, can I say Spotify? Yeah. And, and I get a little bit more cat than I was originally expecting to. And it's absolutely fantastic. So, so thank you so much, Kat. I really do. I really do appreciate it. And I'm delighted that I get to sip from the cup. <laughs> thank you so much like I, I feel exactly the same and I, I am so very grateful for your friendship I'm so very grateful for the serendipitous things the the amount of things that had to fall into place for us to have met for us to be friends I mean the yeah. story is just so crazy I mean your parents were in South Africa and then they decided to raise their kids somewhere else and yeah, we could have we been best, in Cape Town. yeah yeah we could have been best friends you know we could have been yeah. siblings for all I know you know mm-hmm. and it was just one random night we were gaming I think you and your friend uh, were, were having a drink and just messing around in this game. And I'd stumbled across you guys and we were sp- chatting on the mic. And from then we've just been, it's just, we've hit it off. You know, I really do appreciate the discussions that we have. The, I mean, we would just sit and play games and then just take a side and argue things for hours and just come up with different <laughs> perspectives and different arguments and, and fight with each other. And at the end of it go, Cool, but you know my actual opinion is this. But just for the sake of just opening up the conversation and having different perspectives on things is so important for growth. And you've brought that out in me, and I really do appreciate that from you as well. And the friendship that we have is so unique; it's so I think needed. <laughs> and <laughs> the only way that I can really describe it is is serendipity. So <laughs> I just you know leave it up to what the universe had to decide. But I, I'm I'm so grateful, and and thank you so much for this and also for coming on the podcast and sharing everything and just thank you <laughs> no, dude anytime look when after i in a few months when i i've got more to sort of i've got to grips more with with life in japan and and the way things are the way things work here i'd love to talk to you again about you know what japan's like specifically and and the kind of crazy bizarre things that i have to do here just to fit in and stuff yeah, I don't have a huge understanding of it now at all. I'm sort of I'm tentatively licking at the tip of the iceberg at the moment, but give it time, and I'll have. A, I'm sure, I hope, fingers crossed, I'll have a lot of things to share with you, and hopefully, if I'm lucky, a couple of things to argue with you about as well. <laughs> I, I do, I do love, uh, <laughs> I do love our little fight sometime, Cat. I really do. <laughs> And I think they're very healthy and very important for personal development and growth. But thank you. I really do look forward to just, yeah, what what life has to offer for you and hearing about it and reporting back. And I hope that whatever discussion we've had today and then the previous episode has brought some sort of 
you know, perspective some, to someone else listening, you know, even if they can't relate to anything we've said whatsoever, perhaps it's just offered a different, a different way of life that somebody can hear and, and ho- hopefully take something from. So yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. I wish you absolutely nothing but the best for your, your endeavors and everything that's coming to you in the future. I really am. So I'm rooting for you. I'm cheering you on all the way here from South Africa and I'm so proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kat. I love you, love you the best. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and listen to what I have to say and listen to my podcast. I really appreciate that. I love you so very, very much. If you liked what you listened to, please give me a five-star rating or a thumbs up on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you'd like to support this podcast, please consider subscribing or following again on whatever platform you're listening to. I appreciate you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and I'll chat to you soon. 